0: Hello and welcome to the IMB podcast brought to you by the communication cell and student media cell of IM Bangalore. The new podcast series aims to become a platform to discuss the latest business, economic, management and social issues that matter. The podcast will witness IM Bangalore fraternity including but not limited to the faculty members, students and alumni providing their insights and perspectives to the topics and issues that surround us. Reliance Group's 43rd annual general meeting had some amazing announcements and fodder for the news. One such was the building of 5G technology from scratch and getting it ready for commercial deployment. The chairman of the group and India's richest man, Mr Mukesh Ambani, talked about the clarion call of the Prime Minister, that is, Aat Nirbar Bharat, transliterating to self-reliant India. Ever since the COVID-19 pandemic set its foot around the world, countries globally have been angered by China's mishandling of the virus with many big-ticket companies planning to move shop outside of China. To reduce India's reliance on imports, especially from China, India has created the slogan, For a New Economic dawn. Today, we are excited to have Professor Rishikesha Krishnan as our guest in today's podcast, with whom we will discuss the Atmanirbhar Nirvar Bharat and how competitiveness and innovation can drive India's future growth aspirations. Professor Rishikesha is the new Director of IM Bangalore and a Professor of Strategy at IMB. He has previously served as the director of IIM Indore and was the founder, mentor, director of IM Sambal. Welcome, Professor Krishnan, to the IMB podcast series.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: So, Professor, let me start with a very introductory question to set the context for a discussion for our audience. What is Arthur Bharat? Is it another name for Make in India? If not, how is it different from Make in India?
1: I think at this point of time, it is evolving. Uh, It is essentially a movement or a policy to enhance local competitiveness, primarily in manufacturing, but I don't think it's restricted to manufacturing alone. So it is an effort to make India's capabilities in different manufacturing sectors stronger. So that most of the goods that we require essentially in India are available in India and not subject to dislocations or any other uh, constraints which might affect their availability. So I think it's more about building capabilities locally. It's about having pride in our own abilities to make various uh, products and of course provide services as well. But I think the concept itself at this point of time is uh, it's relatively new, it's evolving. So uh, it might take some time for the complete contours of Akhambalupan Bharat to get established.
0: Thank you, Professor. Uh, stepping back a little, we are now seeing a trend of receding globalization for quite some time. It is manifested in the US-China trade war and many other events where globalization has been challenged. Do you think that the current call further bolsters the death of globalization? And secondly, would Atmir Bharat push us towards isolation?
1: Well, if you look at globalization historically, it has gone through waves and this is not the first wave. If you go back to the early part of the 20th century, you will find that after the First World War, I think there was one wave of globalization. Then, of course, the war changed things. Then, once again, you had the periods where economies were being rebuilt. And then, maybe starting in the 70s, again, you had another wave of globalization, which many people believe peaked around the time of the global financial crisis. If you look at the data after 2007-2008, you will see that some of the parameters that are usually used to describe globalization indicate a drop in the extent of globalization. For example, if you look at world trade as a proportion of world GDP, you actually find that indicator slowly beginning to drop. So what we are seeing even before the current uh, crisis and issues is a slowdown in the extent of globalization. Of course, as you rightly observed, the recent developments, particularly trade frictions between the U.S. and China, have to to an extent accentuated this likely decline in globalization. However, what we are seeing immediately is perhaps some shift rather than a decline in globalization itself. For example, many multinational companies which have been sourcing extensively from China or having their own manufacturing plants in China are relocating the sourcing or these plants to other countries, uh, Vietnam, Philippines, Mexico. And India, to some extent, have been some of the uh, beneficiaries. So I don't think it would be correct to say that globalization has uh, come to a halt or that we are not going to see globalization in the future. But I think it's going to be more calibrated. Countries are going to be a little more careful. No country will want to become completely dependent on some other country. Uh, what i think is likely is you will see better risk management practices particularly the kind of concentration risk which many countries and companies had in china you will almost certainly see this level of concentration reducing as uh, countries and companies try to diversify the sources of supply and the places where they have manufacturing facilities so what I expect to see is a lot better risk management, more diversification in terms of sourcing, and of course, as a result of this, some opportunities for countries like India.
0: That is very insightful for us, Professor. Uh, building on the question of globalization, off late, we have seen a call for vocal for local in the context of the policy of Atmanirbhar Bharat. Will such a local usage be beneficial for India in the short and long term? How will our trading partners react to such kind of protectionism being practiced in India? Uh,
1: this is a challenge because we need to balance local capability building with our international relations with other countries. Uh, clearly, at the moment, India has trade imbalance with several partners. And it is in the country's interest to redress this balance to uh, some extent. So, uh, but it has to be done uh, carefully, no doubt. It has to be done uh, in a way that is uh, acceptable to many of our important uh, trading partners. And in any case, it is in our interest to do so because there are several product categories where even if we want to be self-reliant, we will be unable to do so. If you take a lot of high-end products like uh, high-end medical equipment or computational equipment, many of these products will continue to be sourced from outside India. It is unlikely that we will be able to build local capabilities in some of these industries uh, in the uh, short run. What I think is important, though, is perhaps a little different. You know, traditionally in India, we have tended to believe that imported products are better than local products. So much so that uh, we've often paid a premium for products which are brought in from outside the country. That is, seems to be quite uh, rooted right now in our uh, psyche or our perception of uh, Indian uh, products. So this needs to change. We need to be proud about buying uh, Indian and to a degree that also depends on the quality of the products offered by uh, local uh, manufacturers. Uh, Hopefully, if the quality improves and of course accompanied by things like branding and uh, the right kind of marketing, we will start finding that local products are as good or maybe even better than imported products. And therefore, we will be more willing to use uh, local products uh, in our day-to-day life. I also believe, though, that local consumers must insist on Indian suppliers' delivering quality. I think it would be against our interest to accept poor quality products from Indian suppliers just because they are made in India. I don't think that will happen because the Indian consumer in the last 20 years has seen that quality and low price are not necessarily contradictory. The turning point for that was the Nokia 1100 cell phone, a basic feature phone, which for somewhere between a thousand and two thousand rupees, offered a very good functionality at a very reasonable price. I mean, ever since consumers saw a product like that, they realized that quality can go with low price. So I'm hopeful that the Indian consumers will insist on the best possible quality from Indian suppliers. But if there is an Indian supplier who is delivering good quality, that we will then be vocal about those uh, suppliers and give them as much business as possible. So consumer... uh, Emphasis on quality, consumer emphasis on reliability, consumer emphasis on safety, whether it be B2B or B2C, is important to build up a really competitive and reliable, high-quality local economy.
0: That's insightful, Professor. In fact, I remember uh, Indians love to flaunt imported products, so you are very right that we had it in our psyche. Well, to build on that question, uh, one issue that Indian products have faced when it comes to exports to other countries, especially the first world countries, is of quality standards and compliance with the strict norms that the developed countries have. How do Indian businesses aim to address that so that bharat becomes a reality?
1: Well, I think there are a few elements which go into that. The first element, of course, is that we as citizens, uh, we as people who run companies, we as managers, we need to take pride in our products and services. That's probably the most important driver for quality. The second important driver for quality is product standards. There are organizations that set standards like the Bureau of Indian Standards or other government Regulatory agencies need to ensure not only that they set high standards, but that they also enforce them. So our challenge, given our past experience, is to set up high regulatory standards, but then make sure there are no loopholes or shortcuts or other ways people can get around those standards and at the same time run an efficient and non-corrupt certification system. Uh, In the past, uh, we, we have had high standards in certain industries, but then people found workarounds or there was corruption and those standards were not followed. So I think this is the core challenge for us. We need to set up strong regulatory agencies that have the competence also to judge, measure, certify products and services. If I take the example of pharmaceuticals, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is usually taken as the gold standard as far as pharmaceuticals are concerned. In fact, if you want to export any product to the U.S., you essentially must have the FDA certification uh, to be able to do so. Now, can we in India create regulatory agencies that have the Robust systems and processes that the US FDA has? This is the question. For example, in the drug domain, we do have something called the CDSCO, uh, which is supposed to be the uh, organization to certify and give approvals for new drugs. But that organization has some way to go on, on the maturity curve to be able to match the kind of standards which the FDA has. So we need to really buttress and strengthen these regulatory agencies, which perhaps means we need to get much higher quality manpower into them. We might have to pay those people significantly more than we have been paying them so far. And that's the only way we can build a system which is robust and maintains the highest uh, standards. We also perhaps need to strengthen our product liability laws and regulations so that if any company goof's or does any fraud or in any other way violates the conditions of certification it uh, faces significant penalties for doing so as you probably know in the u.s the penalties for violating any of these kind of laws are very significant it can run into hundreds of millions of dollars and sometimes even into billions of dollars and that acts as a huge deterrent to companies to uh, do anything which goes against the letter or spirit of the certification they have received. So so one part of the quality story is on the side of the suppliers. The second side of the quality story is on the side of the standards and regulatory agencies. And the third dimension, of course, is customers, which I mentioned uh, in response to the earlier question customers have to demand quality customers have to push back if quality standards are not met and customers should not be willing to favor or support companies that uh, don't maintain high quality standards that's
0: true professor in fact uh, we do see news articles of American uh, government imposing fines and penalties uh, on quality standards. And I do think India is also in making, we have a quality council of India in place and we we definitely will develop some quality standards for our products. Coming to the other aspect of self-reliant India. One approach would be to identify priority sectors where we can increase our productions and develop globally competitive products. Which all sectors do you think should the government target initially? Should the government restrict itself to the healthcare and defense because they seem to be our immediate needs?
1: Well, there are two ways of going about this. One way is to, as you suggested just now, look at which are the most important sectors. The other way to look at it is which are the sectors in which you already have a strong competitive advantage or capabilities in the country. The advantage of following the second approach is that you have a good platform to start with and you don't have to start at a very low level. Of course, there might be some sectors which overlap. in both. Maybe one of the sectors you mentioned, healthcare, is both critical as well as India has a good track record, particularly on the pharma side of healthcare. So I would imagine that both of these criteria are important. Uh, given the size of our country and given our um, dreams and vision, we probably need to look at multiple sectors at the same time. It cannot be just one or two. Uh, There are other sectors which seem to be important. Electronics is one. Uh, Electronics import bill, uh, as far as foreign exchange is concerned, is I think number two uh, in the country uh, after oil. So electronics is certainly a sector where it will help if we have local capability. At the same time, though, unfortunately, electronics is also a sector where we will almost have to build ground up because right now what we have in electronics is mainly at the assembly level. We have uh, factories in India which, for example, assembles cell phones, but they do it largely from kits because most of the components are not made in India and they're not available in India. So if you want to build electronics, you'll have to build it right ground up starting at the component level, and that is going to be quite a big challenge because many of the elements of that industry are simply not present uh, in India today. You mentioned defense. Yes, defense is an area where we have already taken several steps. Uh, There are policies the government has already put in place. One important shift that happened was allowing and encouraging the private sector to come into defense production. That change happened only a few years back, but now we have several top Indian companies like LNT, companies in the Tata Group, Godrej, Mahindra, Bharat Ford, several of them getting involved in defense production. So that's already made a huge difference to the availability of uh, defense products uh, from within the country. So I think we'll have to look at multiple sectors at the same time, maybe eight to ten sectors, because given the nature of our economy and our requirements uh, being in one or two sectors will not be sufficient. Also, just realize that there are a lot of interconnections between sectors. Today, for example, a lot of defense equipment needs complex electronics. So if you want to make sophisticated defense equipment, you also need to be very good in lots of different parts of the electronics industry. Uh, Similarly, if you look at pharma and biotech, they are intimately connected. So what you'll ultimately realize I think is that we probably need to choose something like 10 to 15 sectors. There might be a few sectors where we don't have an urgent need but almost all other sectors we will have to start uh, building them up uh, if we really want to be genuinely uh, atmanirbhar
0: that's true professor uh, in fact uh, let me build on this question as we need to as we identify the sectors i think we need to focus on one of the weakest link of our indian economy which has been the msmes it faced challenges because of the demonetization in 2016, GST implementation in 2017, and the extended lockdown in the wake of COVID-19 in 2020. Aat Bharat will have to rely on the stronger MSMEs stepping up their production and becoming competitive and innovative. How should the government revive this important
1: thing? Well, you know, the MSME sector has been the focus of attention and interest for a long time now. This is not something entirely new. Uh, To my recollection, we have been talking about revitalizing MSME sector for the last maybe 30 years. So it's a long time that we have been looking at this sector. Yes, you're absolutely right. MSME sector is important for one very, very crucial reason, and that is... That is, in most countries, and that's true in India as well, it's a big provider of employment. So if you look at people getting jobs in India outside agriculture, MSME sector is perhaps the biggest employer. So the long run competitiveness and sustainability of MSME sector is critical to enabling employment opportunities for people in our country. And if for nothing else, for that reason alone, the MSME sector needs to be supported. Now, the challenge with the MSME sector, or I should say the challenges of the MSME sector are many. You mentioned some of them which are uh, externally in But there are other issues as well. For example, many MSMEs have failed to upgrade their technological capabilities over time. Uh, Many MSMEs have also uh, struggled because they have been dependent on one or two customers. And if anything happened to those one or two customers, they get into deep trouble. For example, uh, when I was in Indore, I had some interaction with MSMEs who were suppliers to uh, BHEL in Bhopal. And uh, I found that many of them were struggling because of some changes in the requirements of BHEL, who was their main customer. So, being less dependent on a single customer or just a small set of customers is also critical for uh, many MSMEs. MSMEs also have problems with human resources. Though they are the largest employer, they also struggle to get the best human resources. So, that's another challenge which uh, MSMEs uh, face. However, there is uh, some good news on the MSME front if you include startups as one allied sector to MSMEs. In fact, I think in the revised definition of MSME, which has just come out, many startups would be classified as part of the MSME sector. And we know that India has uh, one of the largest numbers of startups in the world. Uh, number three or number four, depending on uh, different surveys which have been conducted. So, we have quite a big set of companies and individuals in the startup space who are the sort of MSME entrepreneurs of tomorrow. To me, the challenge there is that the MSMEs in the startup arena tend to be those who are looking at new technologies like AI, uh, IoT, uh, various forms of uh, digital technologies. And many of them stay away from core uh, manufacturing. So I think the challenge for uh, India is to make it easier for startup entrepreneurs to go into Manufacturing enterprises. Uh, Here, it did not necessarily be conventional manufacturing. It could be manufacturing which is more aligned to industry 4.0 and the latest uh, digital technologies. Basically, the technologies that will be uh, the mainstay of uh, companies in the future. So, in short, what I'm trying to say is we need to build a modern, high tech, uh, contemporary, MSME sector and perhaps the best bet for that is to build it around those of the existing MSMEs which have shown the ability to uh, do well and combine this with the startups who again have shown that they have the capability to really drive uh, new technologies uh, going uh, ahead. So uh, this seems to be the most likely sort of approach to driving uh, the rejuvenation of the MSME sector. And we should also look for the most uh, talented uh, MSME entrepreneurs who maybe for reasons outside their control, their enterprises have not done well. And we need to find ways of supporting them to revive and revitalize and rebuild their enterprises.
0: That's true, Professor. In fact, uh, MSMEs do face a technical and human resource challenge. And I think the startups can bridge that. You have answered this in some way in your previous replies, but still building on that, you know, affordability is a very big issue when it comes to a country like India, which has low GDP per capita. That leaves firms producing products with very low margin and in the affordable price range. Although it's not contradictory to the quality, but such low margin products leave very less for the firms to invest in R&D. How do you see that turning out? Because R&D will be a crucial aspect for Art and
1: So, I think the solution to that is that you have to follow what might be called frugal innovation practices. The area or the field of frugal innovation fairly well developed now. What frugal innovation is talking about is three things. It's talking about a frugal mindset, a frugal process and a frugal outcome. If you start with an approach which itself really finds frugality a challenge and if you can use frugal innovation processes that enable you to get there. We have several examples uh, in India. We, We have Companies like uh, Arvind Eye Care, we have Narayana Hidayalaya in the medical services arena. We have startups like uh, Niramai and many others. Yeah, again, uh, Forest Healthcare, in the, again in the healthcare sector, which are uh, looking at how do you uh, either take care of your eyes or uh, detect breast cancer at very low cost. So, I, I mean, I think this, in simple words, the solution or the approach which will help you address the challenge you just mentioned, is to adopt frugal innovation practices and therefore or thereby come up with solutions that would address affordability and accessibility and at the same time meet the customer requirements in terms of usage, in terms of quality, in terms of safety and reliability. Again, I would like to underline that frugality cannot be an excuse for compromising on any of these things I just mentioned. So you need to be uh, reasonably good quality, you need to meet safety standards, and of course you need to meet functionality.
0: And that's the way to go. Thank you, Professor. Uh, Building on the question again, uh, you know, India to excel in Atmanirbar Bharat will have to increase its exports to other countries. It might have to build trade partnership with various countries to step up the exports create market for our products overseas. However, recently India pulled out of the RCEP. How do we go about building alliances to step up the competitive ability of our firms globally, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, when there is so much skepticism in the environment?
1: Well, the main concern about RCEP was that uh, it was not an alliance which was in our uh, favor or let's put it the other way, that we would have uh, serious disadvantages nationally if we were part of uh, RCEP. Uh, I think any alliance that we become part of or any agreement that we sign has to be in uh, the national interest. It therefore means that India should get benefits out of the alliance. Of course, there will be some give and take. It can can never be a one-sided agreement, but Any alliance or agreement we sign must safeguard the interest of uh, local producers and uh, local consumers and so on. So I think we have enough experience now. We have been signing trade agreements with other countries for uh, at least a couple of decades. We have free trade agreements with several countries. Uh, I have seen some articles that have reviewed those free trade agreements. And pointed out where we signed the agreements and where we signed agreements that were not in our interest. So I think we should learn from those past experiences over the last couple of decades and consistently follow those principles in future agreements that we sign. So I think it's entirely possible that expertise exists. We have the experience, and now we need to simply build on that. And our Strength in such alliances will increase if we actually develop local capabilities better. So in the long run, being Atmanirpar will enable us to enter such agreements with much more confidence. So that's one hopefully one long-term outcome of uh, Atmanirpar Bharat and signing agreements which are not uh, against the interests of the country.
0: Professor, industry-academia partnership will be an important fulcrum for self-reliant India. In India, we have seen low connect between the industries and academia. Do you think it has to be bolstered to drive up innovation for this mission? How can the government play a significant role in improving collaboration between the industry, academia and innovation centers?
1: This is one element on which we have some good news because in the last few months, we have seen some amazing activity in our academic institutions to try and help out as far as the COVID crisis is concerned. Several of our top technology institutions like IITs and others have been able to develop ventilators, personal protective equipment, and a host of other products which can help India address the COVID pandemic. So what this suggests is that we do have the local abilities in our academic institutions to do relevant research and development when it is required. So when we really come under pressure, when we are forced to, we can obviously do so. Now I think the next challenge is how do we carry forward this spirit which has been demonstrated during COVID into the post COVID scenario as well. And there I think there are multiple things we can do. One is identify those products where there is a need for uh, academia to get strongly involved. We need to also create some tweaks in the incentive system within academia so that professors and students have The motivation to get involved in such industry oriented projects and we also need to enhance the absorptive capacity of companies particularly small and medium enterprises to absorb the products and technologies that are created by academic institutions because one of the challenges it's not enough if academia comes up with really good products If companies and industry is not able to uh, collaborate with academia, absorb that technology and uh, take it forward. So essentially I'm saying there are two things. One is the orientation of academic institutions needs to change a bit. They need to get more interested in application-oriented projects. And industry needs to improve its absorption abilities so that it can work closely with academia to commercialize many of the products and technologies that academia creates. Because we must realize that academia is not in usually in the business of producing products. What they might do is create prototypes, proof of concepts, uh, to be able to do some studies on how to transfer those products into production. But ultimately, the commercialization rests with the industry. The other method which will help is if we strengthen the Startup ecosystem within institutions. Uh, globally, startups have been a great way of commercializing technologies which come out of academia. Uh, one institute which is doing a great job in this direction is IIT Madras. Uh, I visited the IIT Madras uh, industrial park uh, sometime last year and I was amazed to see the kind of startups which are working there. Professors and students are very uh, deeply involved in those startups. And the whole thing works very well because IIT Madras has a very clear startup policy. They encourage their faculty and students to get involved in startups and they get credit for it in their respective degrees. And uh, issues like intellectual property and uh, money and royalties and all are quite clearly defined. So I think that's the kind of framework we need to create in other institutions as well in order to uh, enable industry-academia collaboration to happen better and for uh, whatever technology is created by academia to be commercialized well by uh, industry.
0: That's true, Professor. In fact, IIT Madras Research Park has inspired several other research parks by government in other IITs and they are building research parks in at least seven other IITs. And very recently, we saw IIT Delhi building a very affordable RT-PCR COVID testing kit. Absolutely, uh, coming, yeah. to a, coming to uh, a topic which is talked a lot in India is the demographic dividend. However, our demographic dividend can become redundant because of the lower levels of education and lack of the high-end skills that our workers have. Will that hamper the prospects of this policy change? And what should India do to address this? You
1: see, that is a, a huge uh,
0: question and a huge issue. And
1: again, it's not a new uh, question at all. Uh, to be fair to the government, I think both the previous government and this one recognized the importance of skill development and training and all that long time ago. But somehow the whole skill development infrastructure does not seem to have taken off uh, as well as it should have. Uh, this continues to be a challenging area for us. It's actually a very strange situation. Uh, there are people with skills looking for jobs and not finding jobs. And there are companies with jobs who are looking for people and not finding people. So essentially, there is a gap. <laughs> uh, people looking for jobs and jobs looking for people. So this is the whole issue which has to be sorted out uh, by... Uh, different entities who are involved in the uh, skill development uh, domain. I think one way this will happen is if there is much closer collaboration and coordination between uh, the industry and uh, particularly skill development institutions so that the skill development folks are able to find what are the skills that are required by industry and uh, prepare people for the kind of skills that uh, industry requires. Uh, There have been some uh, good experiments in this direction. For example, the Pan IIT uh, Alumni Association, they have a whole collaborative program with the government of Jharkhand, where they have set up skill training for people for the construction industry in particular. And they have been quite successful in developing skilled workers who fit in very well with the construction industry. And they've been able to do that because the construction industry is closely involved with the design of that program and the construction industry actually has a stake in those uh, training centers which the government of Chapman has uh, set up. So one needs to have more such very close collaborative arrangements between the users and the government uh, that will really help us uh, develop the skills which are required by industry.
0: Hello, Professor. In the end, Ooh. I want to have a last word from you. Do you see the art Bharat, paving the way for a bright economic future for India, becoming a cornerstone in achieving our aim of a 5 trillion economy by 2025?
1: There is, unfortunately, I have to give a conditional answer to that. The conditional answer is we have to balance multiple factors at the same time. There is definitely a danger that if we focus too much on self-reliance, if we cut off imports to too higher degree, if we try to create an isolated island in India, we may end up being uncompetitive and also end up losing out on global economic opportunities. So we have to balance this right. We have to make sure that there is adequate internal competition and that we are open to sufficient competition from outside as well so that our industry remains competitive. At the same time, we have to be supportive of our local uh, industry and uh, all the enterprises at different levels to give them the resources and motivation that will enable them to build the key capabilities they require. So uh, this this getting this balance right is going to be very tricky because in the past, as uh, you know, uh, prior to the 1990s, India had an earlier generation of self-reliance where we were able to do a lot of things inside the country but unfortunately, we were not globally competitive. Our quality levels were poor, our cost levels were too high and we were just not there as far as the international competitive environment is concerned. After 1990, when we opened up, our uh, Quality improved, competitiveness improved, but perhaps selectively. In certain industries, we became quite dependent on sourcing from other countries. In certain industries, we did a better job inside India. We also became a little more selective in the value chain. For example, in pharmaceuticals, we started doing more value addition in India and depending more on China for the bulk drugs and APIs. So uh, in a way, we became specialist in one part of the value chain, but we depended on other countries for earlier parts of the value chain. Now, so, so as you can see, this is all a little tricky. It's not uh, that easy to just make a shift to doing a, much more things internally because, I mean, the broad conclusion you can come to from looking at What happened in globalization is that if you want to be genuinely competitive, you need to be competitive in each step of the value chain. So that means in each step of the value chain, you have to be competitive on cost, quality, features, everything. So that is not easy because we have issues with local resource endowments. We have issues with technology. We have issues with skills. So we need to go step by step probably. We need to uh, go one step at a time in terms of enhancing our competitiveness in different steps of the value chain so that we can slowly you know, span more and more parts of the value chain in different industries. But uh, but I am unfortunately, I'm also concerned that if we do this, too uh, sort of in a way that is too narrow or in which we do something which is excessively protective to the local economy, then that may also have uh, certain negative consequences. So we have essentially it needs very high quality leadership and management both at the government level and at the industry level for this kind of uh, development to happen. And if I may just add one word for all of you guys in MBA programs, I hope some of you will take on these challenges. Because this is the economic challenge of today. Can we build these businesses in India which are globally competitive? And uh, it's all of you who are the managers of tomorrow who have to take on this challenge and make it happen. And I hope you guys will embrace that challenge in a big way.
0: Sure, sir. We will take on these challenges and work towards a self-reliant India. Thanks a lot for your time. Those were some wonderful insights that we got from you during the podcast. It was a pleasure having you with us.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be with you.
0: So that's it from the IMB podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. Do send in your comments, feedback and suggestions and we will be happy to read them. Have a great day.